0: Today, we talk about ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, also known as OHSS. I'm Dr. Mark Amels, and this is Taco About Fertility Tuesday. So usually at least once or twice, Every IVF cycle we do, I get someone worried about ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. And that's actually not unreasonable. It's actually something you really don't want to have. But the question is, do you not want to have it at all? Or do you just not want to have the severity of it? The funny thing is, most of the people who are worried about it have almost zero chance of getting ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. Usually it's people with very severe egg quality and can barely make more than five eggs. And I wish I can get them ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome because then it means I can get them lots of eggs. But the point is, everybody actually wants ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. What they don't want is moderate or severe ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. But technically, everyone wants mild ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. And that's because with mild ovarian hyperstimulation, you're getting more eggs. That's the purpose. You're trying to get more eggs. But more so, it even improves your chances of getting pregnant, even if you were doing a fresh transfer. And so one thing to understand about ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome is that where we are today is not where we were in the past. Years ago, people didn't do freeze all cycles all the time. Matter of fact, when you froze everything, it was actually looked at as bad. They used to say fresh was best, and that's because we weren't as good at freezing embryos like we are today. So with ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, sometimes we had to freeze the embryos because it was too dangerous to let someone keep going and potentially get ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, because if you got pregnant, it actually made it worse. And so it would be better to freeze everything, wait some time, and then put the embryos back later. And so there were all these things we did to help prevent ovarian hyperstimulation. And so it's important before we can talk about now, we have to at least understand the past. And so we're going to start there first. So prior to freeze all cycles, the way it used to work was people would go through an IVF stimulation and then what you would do is you would transfer one or two embryos at the end of the cycle. Whereas nowadays, a lot of clinics do freeze all cycles only. And at the end here, we'll talk a little bit why we do that and why it's actually beneficial. So in the past, the danger was, it's since you didn't want to freeze the embryos, you really had to reduce the risk of ovarian hyperstimulation, which meant we couldn't stim as strong as we were before. We had to use milder stim protocols. And we also had to watch a lot of characteristics to make sure you don't get ovarian hyperstimulation. Now, what's interesting is in the past, we also used to use different protocols most places now use what's called an antagonist protocol. But we used to use an agonist protocol. And what an agonist protocol was is where you'd use Lupron to shut down your pituitary gland so it couldn't make hormones anymore. And the benefit there would be is you couldn't ovulate accidentally. But the downside was the only way you could trigger someone to make them release the eggs was with the HCG. And we used mechanisms such as Lowering HCG dose down to five thousand versus ten thousand, but in the end, the only way to trigger was with HCG. However, when we started using antagonist protocols, then we didn't have to suppress the pituitary gland, and since we didn't have to suppress the pituitary gland, it meant we could trigger with other things. So instead of using HCG, which mimics the hormone LH, we could actually give an agonist GnRH, and what that would do is that would then stimulate the pituitary to release the natural LH in your body to make you ovulate naturally. And the benefit there is LH, luteinizing hormone, only rises sharply and comes back down. So the stimulation to all the follicles is not as great like HCG, which lasts for 24 hours as a half-life and can last in your body for more days, causing the OHSS to become worse. So with this new protocol, We now had another tool against ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. So, what is ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome? Are you going to blow up? Could you die? Well, the answer is you're not going to blow up. But yes, you can actually die from severe ovarian hyperstimulation, but mainly from someone not taking care of you. As we'll talk about later, the way we prevent ovarian hyperstimulation isn't about the protocols isn't about how many eggs you make. It's how the doctor responds to how your body is responding. Mild ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome occurs in almost all patients. But moderate to severe OHSS, which is the thing you don't want, occurs only in about 1-5% to of cycles. Mild ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome is characterized by having abdominal discomfort, mild nausea or vomiting, Sometimes diarrhea and enlarged ovaries. Now, to be defined as moderate, you need to have the features from mild and also have ultrasound evidence of ascites. Ascites is when there is fluid inside of the abdomen. Now, everyone's going to feel like they're filled with fluid because their ovaries are enlarged, but it's when there's fluid in there too that we consider it moderate OHSS. The next level that you get to is severe OHSS. Now, at this point, you now have clinical evidence of ascites, meaning even on exam, we can tell there's fluid. You can even get fluid inside of the lungs. There can also be severe nausea and vomiting, and even acute renal failure. In very critical and severe situations, you can even get fluid that starts going around the heart, blood clots. Now, I don't want to Really scare you because, again, this is first, not very common. And number two, it's actually very easy to prevent. The biggest fear is actually someone not realizing you have ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome and they're just not treating it. But as long as someone realizes you're at risk and realizes that you have it and your doctor's watching for it, you really don't have much to worry about. You might be uncomfortable. But the good thing is they're treating you. So the question really comes down to, are you at risk for ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome? And what are those risk factors? Probably the largest factor for OHSS is having polycystic ovarian syndrome. Patients who have polycystic ovarian syndrome usually make multiple eggs. And because they make so many eggs, they're at higher risk for ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. Other factors can be elevated anti-malarian hormone levels elevated peak estrogen levels during the stimulation, and having a high number of follicles and eggs retrieved. So what type of protocol should you be on if your doctor thinks you're at higher risk? Well, the first thing is going to be an antagonist protocol. That means you're going to be using something like Ganorelix, Cetratide, a medication that's prevent ovulation but does not suppress your pituitary gland. That allows them then to use a trigger called Lupron. Now again prior to it, these protocols we did not have that ability. We had to do things like keep the stimulation lower. We had to use lower doses of hCG when triggering and we even had to do a thing called coasting where we would sometimes have people wait a few days with no medication to let their hormones drop down so that estrogen level would go lower. Sometimes we even had to freeze the eggs. Now today Because we use a lot of antagonist cycles, and some doctors just use only antagonist cycles for that reason, we have other tools. Those tools are, by doing freeze-all cycles, you can stimulate patients a little bit harder because you know you don't have to worry about ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome once they get pregnant. The second thing that we do is we use Lupron triggers more often. There have been several studies showing that when you use a Lupron trigger, your chances of ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome almost go down to zero. Now you would think, well, why wouldn't everyone use ovarian hyperstimulation suppressants such as Lupron? Well, the problem is, is that not everyone always responds to the Lupron correctly. There are times you give the Lupron trigger and they don't ovulate at all and you get no eggs. And so the question is, who are the people who are safe to use with the Lupron and who are the ones that you should use HCG? Now, there's an in-between resolution to that, where some people will use Lupron in a very low dose of HCG. That way, just in case they don't respond to the Lupron, they will still trigger and still be able to get eggs. Most places have reduced their HCG levels now for trigger. One company, Novarel, doesn't even sell 10,000 units anymore, and they only sell 5,000 units. When going through the stimulation, Right before trigger, the question is, how high was the estrogen level, and how many eggs were retrieved? Now, clearly, if someone had a hundred follicles and they only retrieved five eggs, that doesn't mean their risk for ovarian hyperstimulation is gone, because they just messed up and didn't get enough eggs. But if there were thirty follicles and they got twenty-five eggs, then you would be at risk for ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. The most important thing at that point is figuring out the trigger. Whether it's 5000 ACG, Lupron, Lupron with ACG, and then following you. Almost everyone's going to feel some discomfort after a retrieval. But what you're looking for is you're looking for rapid weight gain, where you gain five pounds overnight. If your discomfort increases, where you feel like there's fluid in your abdomen, those are all things that you need to talk to your doctor about. At our clinic, if we're concerned someone may get ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, we will actually give them a sheet to fill out every day and send it to us so we can keep an idea on their weight, also look at other parameters such as pain and discomfort. Another treatment modality is using dopamine agonists such as cabergoline or bromocryptine. The real culprit in OHSS is the increased vascularity permeability of the ovarian and peritoneal capillaries inside of the abdomen. And this is caused by ovarian hypersyncretion of what's called VEGF, V-E-G-F, vascular endothelial growth factor. Using a dopamine receptor agonist, such as combergoline or bromocryptine, has been shown to reduce VEGF, which will then subsequently reduce the risk of ovarian hypersimulation syndrome. At our clinic, we give any patient we're concerned about OHSS, cobergoline. Other treatments that have been used in the past but are not used regularly are giving albumin to patients with ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. Albumin is a protein. And so what it does is increase what's called the oncotic pressure, which is the pressure inside of the vessels that are pulling fluid into the vessels. And by increasing the oncotic pressure, that then makes the Veins less leaky. The evidence is not as strong for albumin treatment and therefore is not used as common as some of these other treatments. So let's say your doctor does a great job, does everything right, but you still get OHSS, and it can happen. And the question is what do you do about it? Well, there's a couple of things you do. One of them is really taking care of the patient and make sure they feel comfortable, and that involves removing the fluid from the abdomen. One of the ways we do that is what's called a paracentesis, where we pull the fluid from the abdomen. Now, one easy way to do this is by placing a probe vaginally and having a needle go through the back of the vagina into the cul-de-sac, which is the area behind the uterus and the pelvis, and we can pull the fluid from the abdomen. And that will absolutely help some of your discomfort. It doesn't get rid of the disease, but it does help with your discomfort. If it's just mild ovarian hyperstimulation, rarely do you need to do any of these things. But in moderate, we also will look at things like your hematocrit level, making sure whether you're dehydrated from the fluid leaving the vessels and going into the tissues. In severe OHSS, we start looking at things like your electrolytes, your sodium, your potassium, even your liver enzymes. If we're extremely concerned because of severe OHSS, there are times we even put you on the blood thinner to prevent blood clotting. Although extremely rare, there are times you even have to go into the hospital. At that point, they will evaluate you even closer, watching your urine output, making sure you don't go into renal failure, and making sure that you are safe and healing appropriately. Don't get me wrong, this does sound scary. But what I can tell you is, it is very uncommon to get to this level. I have only seen it in my entire career a couple times. Moderate ovarian hyperstimulation occurs more often, and most people do just well with some very simple treatment. Mild, like I said, is what most people get, and most people don't even mind it. As a patient, is there anything you can do to help reduce OHSS? There are a couple things you can do. Number one, you can use less medications. You can ask your doctor to do a milder stimulation. So you make less eggs. Now there's a downside to this obviously because if you're paying for this, you want more eggs. And so that's where you work with your doctor to use a safe amount versus just throwing everything at it and making too many eggs and getting OHSS. The other thing to do is if you are concerned you have OHSS, do not drink just plain water. But instead, drink things with electrolytes like soups or Gatorade or Pedialyte. By drinking fluids like this, you will reduce the risk of those vessels being leaky by increasing the oncotic pressure in those vessels that will pull the fluid in. And that's why you drink things with salts in them. In the end, the most important thing is talk to your clinic. If you think you have OHSS, do not sit on it. If they have an after-hour number, give them a call. But in the end, if you just have discomfort, you're not having problems breathing and you're not vomiting out of control, you probably are doing fine and can wait till the next day. But if you are having severe increases in weight gain, having troubles breathing, vomiting uncontrollably, or notice unilateral swelling on just one leg, you need to call your doctor immediately or even be evaluated at ER. As I mentioned, this is not to scare patients, and I'm sure I probably did. But the point is, I want you to know about OHSS because... If you go online, there's a lot of scary stuff out there. Just remember, only 1% to 5% of cycles are moderate to severe OHSS. So the chances are, it won't happen to you. As always, hope you guys like this episode. And I appreciate you listening to Talk About Fertility Tuesday. If you like this podcast, share it with your friends, put it on your social media, and give us a 5-star review. Until next week, this is Talk About Fertility Fertility Tuesday.